Welcome to the Impactful Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Clark. For the last decade, I've had the privilege of learning from impactful leaders across the globe through my service in the Peace Corps and nonprofits. Their leadership has inspired me to highlight those among us who are truly impacting our world so that we may learn from them and be more impactful together. Yes, leadership can be learned. The guests on our show are providing direction, inspiration, and leading the way in their business and community through service. Are you ready to have an impact? Welcome to the Impactful Leaders Podcast. So thank you, uh, Aisha, for being here today. For those listening, Aisha is a DEI um, coach, consultant, kind of moderator, knowing of all the things. <laughs> um, and we met at one of our Gwinnett County Young Leadership Programs, which kind of opened this up. So Aisha, thank you for being here. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Um, so quickly, I just kind of wanted to touch on what is your approach when you are entering an organization to help them with their DEI work? It can get really complicated and maybe a little uncomfortable when it comes to race, genders, and some of those other identities that people identify with in the workplace. Mm -hmm. How do you approach those when you first walk into an organization? I mean, I know we're just starting and that's a big question to throw at you, but. Right, right. I think, and this is for anything that you walk into that's new, you know, being a new organization, a business, a nonprofit is getting to know the people as best you can one-on-one, -on -one, mm -hmm. maybe one, two, or three, or three. I think what's also important when you're doing this work, or if, if you have interest in it or passion in it, is being relatable. And how can one be relatable? Well, as, as a person yourself, is really always being a constant learner and being open to things that you understand and things you don't understand. And so you have to start with your own personal work first. And then once you get past that process is you want to get to know people as best you can. And you can get to know quite a few people in a short amount of time, believe it or not. It doesn't take a long time, but you have to do that because you need to build trust. If you cannot build trust with people, you're not going to get anything done. You know, a lot of people talk about, well, the leader has to, you know, be the one to kind of make it happen and then trickle down. Well, before you even get to the leader, you have to make sure you have a relationship with the leader. So that to me is so important. I think we've gotten away from just getting to know people. I'm all about simplifying some of these things because we have a ton of terms out there. We have a lot of people just get overwhelmed, right? With all the things that they hear. But at the end of the day, get to know people. And so when you start there, you build a trust. Okay, now we can begin to talk about what's going on, the wins and the opportunities, right? So that is, I, I'm just gonna be simple. That, that's what you do first, is you go in, you build the trust, and then you start having these one-on-one -on -one conversations where you can really relate to the person and begin to have some of these, if you will, courageous conversations, as we like to say. And then when, so when you're building that trust in the workshop, we kind of talked about allyship and why it's so important. How does that start? Like, how do you identify, oh, am I like as a straight white male? Mm -hmm. How would I know if I'm an ally for someone? How would I go about trying to be one for someone else? Like, I guess in those situations, how would you kind of walk through that? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Regarding allyship, it's, it's one of those things to get outside of yourself or, and what I mean by that is think of a moment 
when you have not been in power or when you have not had the upper hand. So a, a, an example I, I use personally is when I study abroad, and we talked about this, Andrew, you know, when I studied yeah. abroad in Spain, I went to Spain, Madrid, I just wanted to have a good time. I didn't speak any English. And I got there and made the assumption, oh, me being an American, Americans don't get mad at me, but I'm being the assumption that I would get to the airport in Madrid and someone would speak English. I'm, this is going to be easy peasy, right? So I get there and no one was speaking English and rightfully so, hello. And in that moment, I recognize I am going to have to lean on others to be able to have access to my luggage, to my ride to my apartment and things of that nature. So I got real humble very quickly. And in that moment, there are times where I have privilege now here in the United States with those that do not speak the language. And I go back to that moment. And so if you know that you are here in the United States by way of race, gender, sexual orientation, all of the things that you know probably grant you normalcy and privilege, think about the time, if you've ever had one, and I believe everyone's had some facet of it, think about that time when you are in a place of privilege or power. And when you're in that place, then speak up for that person that you remember back when that's being an ally. There are some times when you're an ally and you may lose something. I, I, you know, I'm not gonna be uh, you know, naive to think that if you speak up in some position, let's say you decide you, know, you wanna step down from a chairship and you wanna allow one of your counterparts that may be in a quote unquote unprivileged stance to be in that chairship, you may lose some friends. You may uh, you know, lose some power you may lose some networking opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. But really think about in the totality of your life, you offering this opportunity to someone, is that really going to make you lose a lot? In the grand scheme, that's being an ally, really stepping up and doing an act that may feel uncomfortable. You might lose a little bit of something, but truly you're now talking about equity. You're building equity in this place. Why is that important? because eventually you may have children or family members that are trying to do the same thing and you'll be able to relate to that because you would have um, been able to do that act. So that's just kind of a small example of allyship, but I, I like to, again, make it relatable to the person, not just saying ally means, hey, I wanna make sure that I go and walk the streets you know, after George Floyd, that, that was important. But when we're talking about systematic allyship, go back and reflect of a time when you didn't have the privilege, when you're in that spot that you do have the privilege, act on it. I'm trying to reflect on some of those moments to see, because in the workshop, what you had was, or maybe I don't want to spoil it in case anyone ever <laughs> takes one of your workshops, but you had an exercise that kind of tested people. And I found myself, I was one of them where there was an opportunity to allow someone to engage like in conversation and introduce them into the group a little bit more. Um, and then I was one of the people that didn't do it as well. So that's like a really good reminder. That's one of the things in the workshop that still stuck with me afterwards. I was like, now if I'm networking or if I'm at another location, I'm thinking like, do I see that happening here? Yes. Yes, it's being, it's being aware, right? It's having a heightened 
awareness. I, you know, people say, read the room, read the room. When you go in, kind of scan. I think sometimes we just walk into a room and we're like, okay, I got to meet Andrew. I have to meet this person. Let me, I heard this person works here. But just before you go in, kind of scan, scan the room. Who's not really kind of stepping up and talking? Who's not in quote unquote the majority by way of whatever we visually see? Have a conversation with that person. Mm-hmm. That's just exercise that I think, again, it's about getting out of our comfort zone. And I'm not saying to do it every day. No one wants to do that every day, but you're not, you're not always going to be going into rooms every day. So just do an exercise with yourself. It'll be fun. It'll be fun mm-hmm. to see on the other side. Yeah. And then once you start doing that, though, I think you'll find kind of like the karma train will catch up almost as well. I'm not saying that that should be the reason why you do things. I mean, I think there's always this debate I have with some people where I don't know if I'm being pessimistic about it, but even when someone does something good, I think they know like selfishly, they're like, if I do this, I'm still, I'm going to feel good after. And then again, they're kind of doing it for themselves in a way. I don't know if that's just my negative (laughs) mindset sometimes that I have. But you also mentioned just now um, equity. And during the workshop, you also talked about lead with equity. Why should we lead with that? Can you dig into that a little bit? Absolutely. I When I say lead with equity, I'm, I'm speaking to now the DEI narrative. And so for those that don't know, DEI stands for diversity, equity, mm-hmm. and inclusion. I think now we've gotten pretty good with knowledge base on and awareness around diversity. I, I struggle with that term because we're all diverse. We're all, I mean, just if you just land us all here on planet earth, we're all diverse by way of a myriad of things, even if we all quote unquote look alike. So I think we're good there. I, I want us to begin to sit in equity and what does equity mean? Because equity will lead to inclusion and inclusion will lead to diversity. So I would like to lead with that equity conversation by way of, um, you know, in the workplace, making sure that people are being met where they are. And you may know this, many people have seen the visual of this, where you have the fence in front, you give everyone the same box to stand on and folks cannot see based on the fence, based on their height or whatever um, it may be. But if you give a person the resource and meet them where they are, they're gonna probably more likely be able to see the fence. If you haven't seen the visual, Google equity visual, I'm sure it'll come up on on a Google search. But what that speaks to is I see you. Very interestingly, um, I spent some time in in Ghana uh, and I was also researching a lot of different languages and it came from that because my name is Kiswahili. And so I just had kind of this interest in learning the background of of my name. And many of the languages that are spoken across the continent translate to, I see you. And not just hello in in a formal greeting. I see you in front of me. And so that for me has become now my baseline for equity. As I'm having a conversation with someone and they say, you know, it's been really difficult for me to be a part of an employee resource group because I don't have the time. My boss is is on me. There are a lot of time constraints. And just for me to say, let me go and talk to your manager about this and how can we begin to change our meeting times for our employee resource? can attend this meeting. 
that says I see you. That's not taking away from all of the group that can meet at any time. Yeah, it might be a little uncomfortable. I wanted to meet at 12 and now I have to meet at one. But now this one person who only has that dedicated time can be a part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. That's equity. Because I need to make sure that that person that's kind of that frontline worker is in this employee resource group because they're going to add value for stuff that I don't deal with every day. I can show up at 930, right? And I've worked hard for it. I'm not saying you haven't worked hard, but I need that person here. So that's equity. That's a baseline kind of exercise that people can do. And then what are some examples that you've seen um, as success of these workshops leading with equity in some of the organizations or workshops that you've worked with? Do you have any examples you can share maybe without naming them specifically, obviously, <laughs> but. <laughs> I know, I hope all of my you know employees and, and fellow colleagues don't hear this, I'm just kidding. I'm completely fine with that. There's a, you know, there's a myriad of them. Um, I think, you know, there's been a, a lot of conversation around historically black colleges and universities, um, some being great, mm -hmm. some being negative, some people just not knowing at all um, the, the existence of, you know, I, I believe, you know, in particular, quite recently, Deion Sanders here has brought a lot of light to HBCUs that have been around for hundreds of years, y'all. Um, but that's okay. He has brought a lot of light to just the excellence around HBCUs. And, and quite honestly, they were developed because of racism and discrimination, but now have just kind of evolved into these wonderful educational powerhouses. And so many corporations, and I'm not gonna name any particular, when they're thinking about internships, may not be thinking about HBCUs as well. And in particular for Atlanta, you know, we are sitting in, you know, the foundation of Martin Luther King and all of the things. I mean, you drive down the highway, it's Lowry, it's Lee, it's Hallowell, all of the greats, right, to remind us. And if you don't know about them, please Google. Um, but we have to make sure that our city is reflective within our corporations. Again, that's ICU. So equity means who's missing in the room here? And in particular, there are some fields that you will find are very homogeneous. You plug and play. But that recruitment team should be looking at those HBCUs. So I, for example, come in and work with our recruiting team and start with just training. Because I don't want to just say, hey, recruitment team, go to an HBCU. You know, being Black is not a, a skill set, right? So it's about having a conversation of equity and why that's important. Number one, because historically, many of those African-American students have not been in this particular field. Number two, it's also bringing, as they say, diversity of thought. Now you have a different perspective of students that are now in this particular field. And when you build that pipeline, very similar to the IVs and the top 20s and the big 10s, it again begins to build this inclusive environment. And so where I, where I have worked over the years is really having a relationship with recruitment to begin to make sure that that is also a part of their strategy when they're recruiting interns or even employees uh, for that, for that line. And then when it comes to, so when you're working with these organizations, how are you basing like the metrics, the KPIs off of it? Cause I, one narrative that I hear sometimes on from some people is 
oh, if we have to, like, because of affirmative action, some of these other programs, if we have to hit X amount of people from a certain group, and then they'll just get hired for, you know, whatever sort of thing. How do we, like, on bring that back a little bit because obviously it's I it, there's more to it than just that like how are you basing the success of what you do yeah. not just off of like the number of people that you're bringing on specifically yeah that's a great great question gosh and I had so many examples of that but I'll go with when I worked and consulted and consult with medical education establishments um there is a thing called social determinants of health that many people have heard or not. And basically it's just the idea that we all want to make sure that we have access to good healthcare and housing and water and good education. So one avenue of course is good healthcare. If I make sure that the recruitment team has a strategy to bring in so many African-American, Latino, Asian, those who are part of the LGBTQ plus community, I am making sure that by the time that group comes out and graduates, they become a healthcare professional. Research has shown that generally a patient who looks like their physician is more likely to tell the truth about their health. They're more likely to say like, if let's say I'm a doctor and I have a patient that looks like me, you know, Allison, I know that you are not taking your blood pressure pills. I know that you just told my nurse that you have done that, but I know based on how you're showing up today that you're not doing it. Oh, you're right, Dr. DeBerry, you're right. I really do need to take it. Okay, I need to make sure that you do that. So there's kind of this colloquialism and yeah. culture that's going on. And that is attributing to better healthcare. So that's a KPI. That is literally keeping someone alive by way of me making a decision or the recruitment, I'm sorry, recruitment team making a decision to broaden their scope in terms of diversity. So you track that along the way. It's not just about the number, but now we're looking at um, the healthcare system. And so if you partner from the medical education side to healthcare, you will begin to see the gap close and can easily track that. So outside of just the general, it's the right thing to do or affirmative actions making me do it, now we're seeing better health results from our patients based on what we decided to do on the front end. Yeah. And then that has all the other side side effects that come from it that are positive as well. Absolutely. And I mean, there's so many stories to that, right? I just gave you a basic one. Yeah. But that also could be me going back to my neighborhood that I grew up in and starting a clinic. And that's the only cl clinic for 100 miles. So I'm going back because that's the neighborhood I know. I speak the language. Those are the people that I love. And so now I'm building an ecosystem just by way of a clinic. Because once a clinic comes, what else comes? You know, who knows? A restaurant. What comes after that? A school. So I know that sounds grandiose, but that happens quite often. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Do you find sometimes that it gets trying to think of how to word it almost like emotionally heavy sometimes or like I mean obviously you're being welcomed in I'm assuming again I'm assuming here that's maybe sometimes some of these people are bringing you in because they're kind of force told to 
So then you're battling that, you're battling other things. You may have people in the workshop that are not being helpful, that are pushing back, trying to like all these other things. Yeah. How do you keep yourself like up, not above it, but how do you keep like how do you keep yourself going? Like what because one of the things you mentioned is like the importance of like mental well-being. Like how do you manage all that? You know, Andrew, that's such a good question. I think we're all trying to figure that out, no matter what yeah. area we're working in, because I don't want to discount that there are so many other folks out here doing some very complicated work, especially in the realm of DEI. Uh, you know, I have some great colleagues that are just, they're just out there in the field day in and day out. And I get a chance to just kind of train on it, if you will, and, and not take an account from what I do, but I think of them first when I go into a, a difficult conversation. I also make sure to know when to balance. I know when I'm becoming a little off. And so I pull back and, and get some energy from reading or traveling. I, ask, I actually have to physically, Andrew, get out of my space, physically. Sometimes I have to physically get out of this country to just re-up. Um, and be able to come back because I love this stuff. I'll just be honest. I'm passionate about hope. I'm a hopeless, hopeless, as they say, hopeless romantic, but I'm a hopeless romantic for DEI. I am. I really am. I do believe we can eventually get to the other side, but I know it probably won't be in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. That's being realistic, but I, I'm hopeful because I see it. I see it happen time and time again. I, I take kind of the spirits of Ida B. Wells. Um, Ella Baker, um, Fannie Lou Hamer, who are all just women from Mississippi, who I'm where I'm originally from. I take kind of their energy in order to really do this work because I believe that humans at the baseline, I mean, we all have things on the margins, but humans on the baseline are good people. We have just been put into systems that have really made it commonplace to be discriminatory in nature. And so I believe my purpose, along with a lot of other DEI professionals, that we are the ones that continue to guide and facilitate and remind and become aware. However, you're right, you grow weary. And so you have to know when to kind of pull back. And then I have um, what I call a sister circle. So I have about four or five. <laughs> you ought to get you one, Andrew. You get a brother circle. But I have some sister circles from my high school life, from my college life, from my professional life where I can just go and have a moment for 15 yeah. minutes and be like, let me tell you the craziest thing that happened today. I am quitting. I am going to just go off on this person, whatever it is. And then I level set, I get some prayer and some love and some laughter, and then I'm able to do it again. But if I didn't have those circles, those community groups for myself, it probably would be a lot more difficult than it is now. What does it look like for you though, when you know you're kind of, if you're willing to share that, when you can tell you're like kind of going off the rails a little bit, like, are they like physical things or you just feel this like weight or, because I think sometimes yeah. people have difficult, I've been, sometimes I've listened to podcasts and then if I hear someone say those things, I'm like, is that what's happening to me? Yes. Like yes. what do you go through? <laughs> That's a really good one. I'll start first with this. I, I do not watch anything for the most part violent in nature be it fictional or not. 
because I know me. I'm very mm-hmm. empathetic. Um, I am an emotional, extremely emotional being. And so those things coming into my kind of mind and ears does not help. I, I can't do that because it's going to be very difficult for me to go into conversations with folks who may not agree on my stance per se. It's going to be very hard for me. I also take emotional cue, cues from myself. Like if I start having some heart palpitations or if I start feeling myself getting a headache, um, I have to just begin to pull back and go into listening mode instead of talking mode. I literally have these conversations in my head. Aisha, don't, don't say anything. Just listen. Take the information in. You'll be able to moan and groan about that later with your sister circle. But listen right now. You have to stop and listen. Have I gotten it right every time? Absolutely not, Andrew. I have learned over the years. But um, I, I have realized that when you get into a spot where it gets very difficult, you have to be the person to listen and just pause. Someone has to do it. Because mm-hmm. if you're not going to do it, it is going to turn into a bomb. Like it's just going to bomb. So you do have to listen. But that comes with practice. That has come with a lot of years of practice and making sure that I'm feeding my soul correct. Um, I, I just can't, you know, my partner will let you know, he loves shoot 'em up movies and all of these kind of things, war and all of those things that are out there. I just don't partake in that because I know the work that I do and I have to make sure that I'm as grounded as possible. What do you use to feed yourself? Is it just the traveling and getting together with your friends and whatnot? It's the traveling. It's the dancing. I love to dance. You put on any song. I am out there. Um, it's definitely solitude. I, I, As much as I love to engage, like engaging with you right now, I can easily get overwhelmed um, with mm-hmm. all of the things that are going on in my life. And so I have to take a day or two. And my friends will let you know this. I am much more a texter. I can't talk all day, all long. I will go ghost for three or four days because I know that I need that. I will not be ready for whatever is to come ahead if I don't take the time. So definitely dancing, listening to great music, eating in <laughs> solitude. And I mean solitude. <laughs> no, that's smart too, that you've learned kind of like your your go-tos for it. I think a lot of times what sets people up for failure is that they're not aware of what they're even trying to look for. Yes. Like those tall tail signs. I have mine. And it's like, I know what I need to do when I do certain things. I'm at in bed at like 8.30 every night. Then I'm in the Jordan, in the gym in the morning at five o'clock. So it's like, I have my things as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I just want to say real quickly, it's not that I, I've never gotten depressed or been very low. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, just being candid, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll let you all know, and I'll just be very transparent. I did not watch George Floyd. I did not. And I was depressed depressed I mean depressed for probably two or three weeks straight just inconsolable um didn't want to talk to people didn't want to engage and so that was yet again a reminder that I have to take time for myself if I'm going to be that voice where you can express because some people can't do it but if Mm -hmm. I'm to be that person I have to make sure that my soul is good um, because it really will hit me. And I just want to share that if someone, you know, hears this later and has that same experience. 
No, I think that's a good thing. And I think also a reminder, especially with everything that just happened up in Memphis, mm -hmm. um, when the George Floyd happened, I had a, I was one of those people that I shared one of the, some video, I forget what it was, but I shared something and someone reached out to me like, Hey, she's a black Afro Caribbean woman. And then yeah. she was like, just by the way, when you post that, and I know you're friends with all these kinds of people, that's really hard for us to watch and I don't like most she was speaking very generally she was like a lot of people don't actually want to see that like we don't need to it's always negative like, like all these things and I that completely at first I wanted to be defensive being like oh like you know but yeah. like you said I listened and then when I thought about it, I was like oh like shit like <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I get yeah. it but having those people in your circle that going back to the trust that you talked about she knew when she mentioned that to me, I wasn't trying to do it out of like the intent. And I think, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That's an interesting. No, that's such a good, I'm glad you, that's a great segue into, into just intent versus impact and trust and relationships. She felt comfortable enough because many people do not at all. They don't have what we call the psychological safety to feel comfortable to see the trauma happen to themselves and be okay and comfortable and have the confidence enough to say to someone who doesn't identify with them to say that really hurt me that really hurt me and I talk about this with the work of, of change and me being hopeful it, it is a two-way street now it's not on the onus of people who are underserved or underrepresented to always speak up however there are times when one should because we can't assume that someone else knows I mean and that's arguable because I know there are people out there that say, oh, you can Google, you can this, you can that. Yes, that's true for a lot of things, but not all. And so we both, one side has to speak up, whatever that side is, and the other has to be willing to listen and maybe adjust some change. That's that's how this thing really happens. That That's how the DEI work really gets done. Yeah, I've had some interactions with people that I kind of trust. And I yeah. felt trying to push them down this kind of, down this route, but then there's always these things up and it's just tough to figure out if you're just hitting a bunch of walls. Are you making progress? Is mm -hmm. it worth to keep trying to push this forward? Yeah. Should I push it forward, stop, then return two weeks later and have like reminders in my calendar? Like there's certain people, I'm just not sure how far to go with certain things but then it's like if you don't like myself like he's not going to be approached by my friend that approached me yeah. that's not going to happen to him right so right. then it's like how does he ever learn or I should say unlearn the things mm -hmm. that he's been taught yeah I, I don't have a know, question there it's just <laughs> it's a movement right and and like with any movement um, and I, I talked to my dad about this as well a lot because he was very much involved in the movement is the change starts with us as an example, just being an example, going back to the allyship piece is consistently being the example. You cannot change someone else's mind. I don't believe that. I think people decide to change their mind based on what they see or an example of someone that they look up to and want to mimic. But I'm not quite sure that I can tell you, Andrew, tomorrow, I need you to do X, Y, and Z around equity. Um, and so 
we all have to ourselves, I think we got to get back to this. This is what the movement's about. We have to be the change we want to see, not to over, you know, um, emphasize Gandhi's quote, but we have to be that. There's a great company called Green Dot. In a past life, I did a lot of work around sexual assault and sexual misconduct. And Green Dot is an organization that speaks to, you can change a culture if you decide to step up and do something. It uses this example that, you know, I think we've seen some of these videos on YouTube where you're on the train and someone's being attacked and no one does anything. Everyone's just kind of minding their own business, looking at the phone, looking mm -hmm. at the window. We all know that someone is being attacked within our vicinity. And then one person steps up and says, hey, 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 what's going on? Even if they don't jump in, hey, you know, stop, whatever. Next thing you know, other people are doing it. They jump in, they may stop the person, they may do whatever, they may take the knife. And that is different dots now making a change within that environment, within that culture, whatever the word you want to use. And so to your point, you know, you, you, you can't necessarily change your friend or colleague. And I know I'm not directly answering that question, but I wanted to lift this up is that, but you can do something, mm -hmm. you know, you personally can do an action. And by way of that, people will begin to understand. People know certain things they can't say to me. They know. Yeah. Um, but been, they know I'm open. Yeah. I've always been curious, like, can you even teach that stuff too? Yeah. Like the the person on the train being active or like taking that step forward. Like, is that teachable almost? Or like, or is it just something you're born with? Or is it just, I don't know. I've always been those are the things that I want to hear about sometimes. <laughs> I know, I know. We can theorize about it all day, you know, because I hear those questions are, you know, are you a born leader or can you create a leader? Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think it's a, a mix of both, both and, uh, you know, I have this law background, so it's, it depends, right? But I think it can be both and. You, there are some, I think there are some natural born leaders. I, I really, mm -hmm. do. if I sit here, I'm like, how in the world did Mother Teresa do this? You know, but I also think that there are folks very similar to her that have come behind her and seen her work and become a leader themselves so I think it's both in in my opinion yeah yeah I love that and then when it comes to leadership this kind of like the last question we kind of touched it and all touched on it already but when it comes to the role of leadership and trying to create that more diverse equitable kind of workplace where do you think someone like that should start obviously you mentioned lead with e yeah but that's still sort of like a big ball to kind of undertake like what are some of like the bit best best practices at like a very low level on like how to head down that path yeah that's, um, that's a, I think that's a great end because we circle right back around yeah. having one-on-ones with your team with and when I say team team is not just at work team is whatever space you're in that you're leading Mm -hmm. having those one-on-ones to really get to know the people that you're leading. Again, that is a piece of, in my opinion, servant leadership that people talk about. That servant leadership is getting to know the person, saying, I see you. And by way of that, you learn a lot about people that you didn't know. Some of your assumptions begin to go out the door. Um, and you begin to see people for people and not just the work that they do. The work comes after. The work be becomes productive when you actually 
see the person. It sounds so simple, Andrew, but it really works. <laughs> I try it every day. I do it with my team. And I've seen some great impact because of that. I really have, um, simply because I take the time to get to know people. And it's, it's exhausting at times. It's tiring. It's one extra thing I have to do outside of my reports and my decks and my presentations and my all the things. But why am I doing all of that if I don't have a team that supports and is excited and wants to grow and learn? That's, to me, that's where leadership starts. If you look at any leader, good or bad, and you were in a, a session with me where some people named some interesting leaders, um, they had a ton of followers. They had critical stakeholder buy-in, and they got that from building a relationship, be it good or bad, but they got that from building a relationship one by one by one. And so that would be my, my advice as we circle back to what we started from at the beginning. I love that. Thank you so much for your time. First, before we talk about some events and workshops you have coming up, what are some good resources that people can kind of look up to kind of start down this journey? Yeah, wow. There's so many. Um, Live Safe Resource is a great uh, organization, but also a resource hub for gender and kind of, I'll say sexual assault, sexual misconduct. I say that, but mm -hmm. I also mean you learn a lot about um, gender. Um, um, oh my gosh, there's just so many things. Um, the Human Rights Campaign, if you go on there, you just kind of get a baseline around yeah. information. There's a great book called The Blind Spot, just kind of recognizing, um, you know, where your areas of opportunity are. Thanks for the feedback is a great book because it's it's learning how to speak and receive and to listen. Um, I particularly love John Hope Bryant because he speaks, I think he has one or two books, but he speaks on servant leadership okay. in the same vein, Brene Brown, anything that she comes out with really <laughs> data <laughs> behind servant leadership. Um, and gosh, I'll land with Michelle... Alexander, who wrote a book called Cast, which speaks on hierarchy and colorism. Mm. And so the list goes on and on. I could probably go yeah. on. But there's Those are some kind of baseline places you can start. Because when you Google those, a whole list of other things will come up. Yeah, I'm sure. Thank you for sharing that. And then do, do you have any workshops coming up that you want to promote? Where can people find you? I'm, I'll have the details in the show notes as well. But Okay, yeah, well, I know that May 11th is coming up. I believe May 11th is the DEI Summit with the Gwinnett Chamber. So we are really in our third year, so we're super excited. Gwinnett Chamber is in Gwinnett County of Georgia because I'm not sure where this podcast goes, Andrew. But it's on the 11th. It will be from 8.30 to 12 p.m. And then following that, I'm not sure if all are invited, but the Gwinnett Young Professionals on May 12th, they're having continuing the conversation around DEI. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Aisha, for being here today. And thank you for um, your kindness. Every time I run into you, you always have the biggest smile and you always have such a warm energy and I love it. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for having me. Thank you.